0: Turn to the book of Isaiah, to chapter 9, a very familiar passage to all of us, one that we often read from here at Christmas time. But there's a truth that's buried within this passage that wouldn't come to fruition for about 600 years. Isaiah writes these words, and Jesus would be born of the virgin in a little town in the hills of Judea called Bethlehem, uh, more than 600 years later. And the reason that's important is the truth that's contained here is still true. The world that we live in is a place of increasing darkness at times. The world, though we'd love for it to be getting better and better, really, from heaven's perspective, mankind is on a collision course with God. That, in fact, your Bible says that one day the rescue is going to come from heaven, that Jesus will actually come again. But what we celebrate at Christmas the light of the world that's come into this world, to shine a light on every man, Jesus said, that his light is visible. Wherever the church is, wherever believers are, wherever his word is spoken, that light is piercing the darkness. Isaiah saw that. He understood it. And God had him write it down so that we might have it tonight. Nevertheless, verse 1 says of Isaiah 9, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when he first lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in the Galilee of the Gentiles, the Jewish people, were in grave danger. They had already experienced the wrath of the Assyrian army. They are about to experience the captivity in Babylon. They've been scattered amongst the, the hills and the valleys of the Jordan River Valley, the hills of Judea and Samaria. Their life was difficult. And the reason I think this is so perfect for us for Christmas is in spite of all the things that we do, the, the wonderful things that occur in our homes that are family traditions, the trees, the lights, the gifts, the family, and all those things are very wonderful. I'm a fan. I enjoy all of the traditions that we have for Christmas. But the fact of the matter is the world doesn't universally celebrate what we call Christmas. And an awful lot of people really have no idea what it's actually about. From heaven's perspective, it's about our Emmanuel, God who is with us. The Hebrew people understood that life was hard. But they were waiting and hoping and trusting. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. Maybe tonight you're having a rough Christmas season. I was talking to Pastor Rob earlier today and we talked yesterday and, you know, people have been worried about the things that are going on health-wise. And so, you know, everybody's running out because it's family time. People are coming over and they want to know, you know, do I have COVID? A couple of our pastors waited for three and a half hours in their car in a line to get tested for COVID. That doesn't make for a happy Christmas. No matter how good your intention may be to make sure that you don't have it so no one else can get it, there, there are difficulties in life that we all face. But the one who's come into our life is bigger than all the difficulties we face. Amen? The one that we worship is greater than all of the things that are trying to steal our joy. Upon them. Upon you and I. Upon us. You have multiplied the nation, increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal is noisy from battle, garments are rolled in blood but they will be used for uh, burning and fuel for fire. One day, all of those things that trouble us, all of those things that hurt us, all of those things that we fear, all of the things that seem unequal and unjust, all of the difficulties that you have ever faced or could possibly face, While you have breath on this earth, one day, the king is going to take care of every one of those things. That is actually the story of Christmas. That's the story of Christmas. Oh, we celebrate that by having gifts that we give to one another and lighting lights and those things are wonderful. But here's the promise, for unto us, a child is born. Unto us, humanity. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. From heaven's perspective, God's own son was the first, the best, and the supreme Christmas gift. Amen. Unto us a son was given. Now I don't know what you have under your tree right now. If you have a tree, if you don't have a tree, that's okay too. But if you have a tree and there's gift underneath there, I don't think anyone has something that's going to be greater than the son of God. Amen. If you stuck a Mercedes Benz under loaded with hundred dollar bills, you're still short. The greatest gift is the one that can redeem our souls. Amen. And the government will be upon his shoulder. You know, right now we we have lived through two years of what I see in my time on this earth as some of the most contentious days and I, I was alive during the Vietnam War protests and I'm you know, seeing a little bit of angst in our country. One day the government is going to be upon the king of kings' shoulders. And the things that we're facing right now, the things that we fear right now, the things that have caused us to lose heart at times, one day... Jesus is going to put those things on his shoulders and it's all going to be okay. Amen? His name. His name. His name. His name will be called Wonderful. Wonderful. To some people, his name is a swear word. To some people, his name is a cop-out. To some people, his name is the ruler of a group of people that they don't want to belong to. But the truth is, his name is wonderful. Jesus, Yehoshua. God, who is Himself, our salvation, His name is wonderful. Counselor. Oh my goodness. I was watching a little article today, a little snippet on the internet from Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, brilliant astrophysicist. He's doing a series on critical thinking, and I'm I'm sitting there watching this. And and I watched it for about 45 seconds, and I was so confused about what he was talking about that I thought for a second, I have lost my mind. (laughs) I no longer can cognate. There's nothing happening between my ears. We have these silly things that we lug around called cell phones that you can Google me this and Google me that. But you know what I figured out? About 99% of what I Google isn't even true. Oh, it may be partially true or kind of sort of true or it was true yesterday. It might be true tomorrow, but it isn't actual truth. But we have a Savior who is actually truth. I am the way and the truth. Amen? Amen? The light of the world is truth. When he shines in your life, he is absolute truth. That's why he can be the wonderful God who is also our counselor, and he's mighty. He's our hero. You know, we're addicted in this country to superhero movies. Now, remember, some of you that have been around a while, you, you remember when an epic movie was actually over three hours long, right? Now, an epic movie is 93 minutes. An epic movie used to be 10, 15 million dollars. Now, an epic movie is approaching a billion dollars to produce. And in it, they don't just have one hero, now it's the whole Marvel universe, right? You're like, okay, who's the actual hero in this movie? You have no idea because there's like 47 of them. There's not just one bad guy. There's 315 bad guys in the movie. It's like we keep increasing our, our understanding of what a hero is supposed to be. Jesus is my hero. He overcomes every enemy, every foe. No one can stand against him. Nothing can stand against him. Nothing can prosper against him. He's my mighty God. My mighty God happens to also be my Savior and my friend. He's the everlasting Father. That is somewhat... Interesting in English, it seems like he's just a father that lives a long time. But if you really look at this in the original language, it's he's the father of eternity. He created eternity. He dwells in eternity. He is in eternal light. His existence is never ending. He's the Alpha, he's the Omega. The beginning, the end, the one who was and is and is to come. He doesn't have a beginning. He was there before the beginning. In the beginning, as we saw on Sunday, he was there before there was a beginning. He's the father of eternity. He purchased eternity in a human sense. He descended from heaven to this earth for the express purpose of purchasing heaven for you. You see, when you read verse 6, sometimes you just kind of blast through it and go, well, that's really wonderful. It's probably, probably most of you got a Christmas card with verse 6 of Isaiah 9 on it already this year, maybe more than one. And he is the prince of peace. Why is this important? Because a prince is generally the son of a king. And the son of a king announces the kingdom of his father. And so the kingdom of the father is the kingdom of everlasting peace. And the prince of peace came to announce that his father, through him, will give you peace. He's the prince of peace. You get to heaven, there's going to be no war no bickering, no arguing. there will be no news services in heaven. Amen. I can't wait. I grew up in the time of the Huntley Brinkley report. Good night, Chet. Good night, David. You know, it, the whole it, we used to have truth, right? Now we have op-ed. Everything is an opinion. I can't wait until the Prince of Peace reigns on this earth and the government will be upon his shoulder. In order for us to understand this, the light of the world came into our reality. Jesus took his own light which was in the beginning. Remember the first act of creation? And God said, light be. It doesn't say let there be light, actually, in Hebrew. It says, in effect, light is. Jesus is, always has been, the light of the world. And so that light shined exactly as Isaiah understood Into the darkness. Remember, Genesis chapter 1 says that the earth was without form and void. In other words, it was in darkness. There was no light. And so the first act of creation, the fiat, the initial move was for God to put light into his creation. So from that day to this, Jesus has been shining. And it is he that we have come to celebrate tonight. You should have received a candle when you came in. I pray you did. And as we get to that portion of the service, if you didn't, we'll have you raise your hand. We'll get you one. But we're going to celebrate who Jesus is tonight as the light of the world. In verses 4 and 5 of our passage on Sunday, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. If you remember the story of the gospel message, it's the story of the light going into all the world that by the time you get to the book of Acts, that's all it is. It's the individual light of believers that went into the light of other people as they shared the good news, as they fulfilled the great commission, as they did what Jesus said, teach them all things as I have taught you and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, the light spread around the world. It was shining exactly as Isaiah saw, John said, in darkness. But it also says the darkness didn't comprehend it. Interesting there in verse 5 of John chapter 1. And so it kind of got me thinking about tonight. How many people that you know don't comprehend the light? How many people have a wrong impression of who Jesus is? And you have the answer. You could square it away for them. You could tell them the truth about who Jesus actually is. For me, Jesus is the hope that we celebrate at Christmas. It seems like every year when I talk to people, Christmas gets funkier and funkier for them. You know, it starts out to where it's just like you kind of have that one weird cousin that always comes, and, you know, they wrap three cans of tuna fish or something, and that's, that. you know, it's just they think it's funny. You have those couple of Christmas ornaments that, you know, your aunt that's five times removed gave you, and you have to put them on the tree because if she ever shows up, but they're, you, you look at them, it's just like i Pretty sure that's Beelzebub we put on the tree. You know, it just doesn't look good. Or you have the neighbor that lights their house up with like all kinds of like skulls. And I don't know if you saw that guy that's in Lomita, but he's got, I looked at his house and I'm like, kind of thinking that's not what Christmas is all about. Christmas lights actually started in Bethlehem. There was a single star in the night sky that shone on a little town, very specifically a, a cave walled in with rocks and a manger. Not a very noble setting. Isn't something that when you think about it, it's going, oh man, the king of kings is going to be over there. But that's how important the light is because really the story is about the light the light is what attracted the magi. The light is what attracted the shepherds. The light is what guided the townspeople. It was the light that was shining. It wasn't the birth, birth of a baby. That happened all the time. Been going on for a long time. by then. A lot of children had been born by then. So nobody was, oh wow, another baby's being born. There was something different about that baby. And so different was the difference that it was visible in the night sky. But the star wasn't the star. The baby was the star. That child wrapped in swaddling cloths was the star of the evening. And the next day, And our world and of all eternity. Because that baby was Emmanuel, God with us, descended from heaven, came from his heavenly home to our earthly home. And so Isaiah records that. It's interesting that Jesus himself so often referred to himself as the light. Matter of fact, he spent a ton of time, I am the light of the world. Is one of his I am statements. I came for this purpose. But it's interesting to me in John chapter 8 that right after Jesus says he's the light of the world the very next thing we meet is the woman caught in the act of adultery. He says, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. They're in John chapter 8, verse 12. And so Jesus uses this beautiful picture of what the star began to show us to illuminate the thinking of the people so that when that woman was tossed at his feet he could remind them, look, it's okay. Go and sin no more. Remember, I'm the light of the world. I can illuminate the dark places of your life. I can fix it. It's interesting to me that when you look at the end of the age, so read through the book of Revelation, I never encourage people to read the book of Revelation at Christmas time. It's just not a good, it's not a good book for Christmas, okay? Stay out of the book of Revelation. But there's an interesting thing at the end of it. By the time you get to chapter 22, all this crazy stuff has happened. The Lord has finally returned. He's ruled and reigned for a thousand years. A new heaven and a new earth And it says, the sun and the moon will no longer provide light. The king himself will be the light. Amen? That's kind of how the story started. Think about it. There was nothing, and then there was light. And at the end, after all of our human frailties, our human faults, our weaknesses... The story of redemption, the age of grace comes to a close. You get to the end of the book of Revelation and he is called the bright and morning star. Hmm. You think Jesus is trying to tell us something about who he is? He is in fact the light that comes into our lives and illuminates those places that right now maybe you're a little dark. He is that light that shines in the darkness of of the areas of our life that sometimes we try and keep hidden, don't we? After Jesus forgave that woman, she understood the light. And probably if you're here and you've walked with the Lord for a while, you understand that Jesus is shining in your heart. And that he has forgiven you. And because of that, you walk in the light as he is in the light. You're no longer stumbling around in the darkness of your existence. And am sure sometimes we get so hung up on all of the other things that go on for our Christmas celebrations that we don't take time to stop and think about what Christ has already given us. If all of us left, we walked out those doors, the doors in the side of the sanctuary. And the single thing we walked out of this room with was the forgiveness of our sins. You think we're going to be okay? Amen. Why? Because we have peace with God the Father and one day we'll step out of this worldly existence, this time, and we'll step into eternity. <laughs> And we'll be with him forever where there is no darkness, only light. Amen? So remember that when things are a little cloudy, things are a little maybe around you, don't feel quite so well. The truth is that light always attracts, atta- uh, attracts attention. Our eyes are immediately drawn to it. It it's an impossibility. If you are in a situation where light is dim and someone turns on the light, what's the first thing you do? Where'd that come from? What happened? What's the source? Why is it bright? What color, you know, you go through all kinds of things in your mind. And so Isaiah seeing that, considering that, shines this light on the story of Bethlehem, the star. Look, Jesus' parents were poor. Jesus himself spent most of his life homeless. Jesus himself had nothing to brag about. There's nothing in the Christmas story that you go, man, that's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Everything in the Christmas story is about as plain, mundane, boring. You, you, it, it's, it's a tale that when you look at it at face value, it's like, okay, well, it's a dude that was born in a barn. But for we who know the King of kings and Lord of lords, it's the greatest moment in human history. Amen? That Jesus, the King of heaven, came to earth. To be born of a virgin, fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophetic windows, so that we might have eternal life. Light attracts attention. And so God brings forth divine light on that little tiny town. When you read the Christmas story in Matthew 2 and Luke 2, and for sake of time, I'll just encourage you to read it when you get home, read it in the morning. Before you open presents, pull out your Bible and speak what God spoke over us. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a child who is Christ the Lord. Read it. But the angel speaking, I'm bringing you the most joyous news you're ever going to hear. The New Living Translation says, A Messiah you've been waiting for has been born, and he's none other than the Lord himself. And here's that glow. Glow. You know, we're so used to going to theme parks and seeing, you know, these incredible movies that are now made with computer-generated images, CGI, that we're almost not amazed by anything anymore. But I'm telling you that if you were around when Jesus was born, and you're looking across the hills of Judea, And there's one star in the middle of the sky that's shining on one town and one manger in the middle of nowhere, you're gonna be going something's happening over there. Amen. No internet, there was no, you know, Instagram posts about it. There was no news media. Gutenberg wouldn't invent the printing press for another fourteen hundred years. But there was something happening in Bethlehem. The light of the world was coming into our lives. In a moment in time, he attracted the attention, literally of the whole world. You know how we know that? Remember what happened? Herod was so upset that there might be a ruler greater than him that he commanded all of the young boys that were born in that time period to be murdered. The light of the world was a big deal. It attracted national headlines. Has the same son of God, the same light of the world, captured your heart? Has he attracted your heart and your mind, your soul. From the time of his birth to the time he died on the cross, the light of the world was attracting the attention of anyone and everyone. He attracted the attention of the religious leaders, the multitudes, people who were learned, people who were farmers, everything in between. Light attracts attention. Light guides our every step. As we draw to our time where we'll celebrate that light, I'll forewarn you, it's going to get really dark in here. And so I want to encourage you to not try and wander around while the lights are out. Why? Because there's no illumination. It's going to be very close to pitch black in here. That's the condition of your soul without Jesus. You need a guide because there's a lot of other things to compete for leadership and guidance in your life. There's false light. The devil is trying to shine all kinds of bizarre, weird lights in your life so that you go, oh, that must be the light. And Jesus wants to be the only light in your life. Jesus would actually fulfill the prophecy that Isaiah spoke of here in Isaiah 9 and Zacharias is cousin's father spoke it well he said the Messiah would come to give light to those who sit in darkness and guide our feet to the way of peace you see you might have peace in your home right now maybe none of your weird family members are coming over for Christmas you know it's just going to be you and maybe a couple of close family members it's going to be heavenly There's going to be no conflict. You're going to get to pick which meat it is. Honey-baked ham. You know, we all have those things that we think about, right? Your favorite pie. Thanksgiving, pecan. Christmas, apple. We have those things, right? And when it's just you and really close family... It's just like everything's smooth. But you know what's really crazy? Even when everything's smooth, without the light of the Lord in your life, you're still at war with God. Jesus shined a light and guides your steps so that you head towards the cross so that you can receive that forgiveness so that you're no longer walking in darkness but in the light, as he is in the light. It's why Jesus in John chapter 12 actually made it so clear. He said, look, for a little while longer, the light is with you. He was speaking of himself. There in verse 35 of John 12. Walk while you have the light. Why did he tell him that? He told him why. Lest darkness overtake you. Walk in the light so that you don't walk in darkness Is the inference. He's saying, look, this is what you need to do to stay out of the trouble that darkness can bring your way. For he who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. It takes the light being turned on to guide our every step so that we stay out of trouble in this crazy world. I think that's actually the truth behind Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Walk in the light. And the light will guide and direct your path. That's the truth that's buried there. I have a question. Have you ever tried to walk around in the dark? For those of us that are a little older, we get up in the middle of the night. What do we find Every dog toy. The little posts on the corner of the bed that hold your bed up in the air. Any of you put one toe on one side and the other toe on the other side of that thing? You know it's there. You understand fully that something's in your room. You, you know you have a wall and somehow your nose finds it. Why? It's dark. You can't tell where you're going. You have no reference point. Jesus is your heavenly reference point. Keeps you pointed to heaven. Light exposes the realities of the things that you need to see. It's again why Jesus said, look, everyone practicing evil there in John 3 hates light and doesn't come into the light lest his deeds be exposed. I don't know how many of you have had the experience of going into your favorite restaurant during the day, one that you go into during the night, and you look at the carpet and you're like, oh no, I'm not eating in here. I could actually eat this carpet. There's like 10 years worth of meals right there. You see at night when the lights are dim, you know, it's like we always... We always talk about those romantic candlelight dinners. You know why we do that? Just saying, we all look better with the lights off. (laughs) It's like the wrinkles go away, the eyes are a little brighter. It's like, oh. Yeah, light exposes. It's like, man, the kids could play connect the dot with your age spots there, Jeff, you know. But when you're in the light, you can see all the flaws. Every bit of those little things in your life, it's just like, oh man, I should have you know, used sunscreen back then. Exposes the real you, doesn't it? One of the things that you'll recognize as you get older, you know, your brain thinks you're 25, your body thinks you're 106. When the light goes on, yep, 106. (laughs) Light is the defining factor in the life of every believer. And when the light is on, you see the real you. You see the real world. You see other people as God sees them. You understand truth. You don't walk in the lie. You see, when the light's on, you can actually really see. That's why we're supposed to walk in the light as he is in the light. It's essential. If we're going to live for the Lord, it's essential. And a fourth thing, that light has power, church. That light that is in our life has power. Power. For those of you that love such things or like such things, Jesus is not just the creator. He is the conserver of everything as well. Light has power to hold you together. In him, Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, all things consist. In other words, he holds it together. It's not some small particle that they're trying to find in the Hadron Large Collider there on the border of Switzerland and France. It's not, they're not going to find the particle that holds the universe together. What holds the universe together is Jesus. The light of the world holds the universe together. Your Bible is very specific about this. By him were all things created that were created, and was nothing created without him. And in him all things consist. He's literally holding you together right now. You might be thinking, well, you know, I go to the gym. For some of us, nobody can tell. I go to the gym. I have a subscription to Nature Made Vitamins. I even drink kale juice. God bless you. When you die, I'll do your funeral. You know, you're doing all the right things. It's just like you got it going. You eat free-range everything. And I'm not mocking so much as I'm just saying you can do all those things. And I'm telling you what, if Jesus don't want you here, you ain't going to be here. Okay? He holds, the Bible says, he holds your very breath in his hands. That there is no you without him. So even if you don't acknowledge who he is, He still created you, knit you together in your mother's womb. You are not an accident. There is a creator God who loves you and is powerful enough to sustain your life and keep you to the day that he takes you home. And he does that for the whole universe, not just you. Sometimes kids will ask, well, you know, the moon's kind of close. Yeah? It's barely 290,000 miles away. That's not very far in astronomical terms. Gravitation messes up a little bit. The earth needs to watch out. The moon's about the sixth of the size of the earth. We're worried about little asteroids hitting us. What do you think happens if the moon hits us? But none of us sit around going, man, I hope the moon doesn't crash into the earth today. Why? Because by him and through him, all things consist. He controls gravitation, he controls nuclear force, he controls all the wavelengths of light itself, and heat and energy, and all the things that we say make up our physical universe. I don't wake up in the morning and go, man, I hope I don't get enough, you know, I hope I don't get too much sun today. Hope we don't have any giant solar flares. If you're one of those people that worries about those things, you have a bigger problem. Seriously. Seriously. Just think about what we're doing. We're on a little tiny rock that is rotating around a singular star that's spinning at 22,000 miles an hour, that's buzzing through space, that has exactly the right gravitation so your body stays on the planet in the first place, isn't too much so you get crushed, and isn't too little so you fly off. Generally speaking, the global temperature is sufficient to sustain life If it gets over 106 consistently, you're going to die. If it stays below 58 for a long period of time and you have no protection, you're going to die. You get the point? This little place called earth has been empowered by the creator of heaven and earth to sustain you and all life on this planet. Amen? He is powerful. So when you think about your life, he cares about the minute details. The Bible says he created you and he created your days and he has good works for you to walk in them. That's how wonderful the light of the world is to us tonight on Christmas Eve. I'm going to have the worship team come back out. And as they're making their way back out here, remember that John 1.14 defines this moment when the light went on, when heaven switched the switch on, when Emmanuel made his appearance. The Bible defines that as the word becomes flesh and dwelt among us. That's the story of Christmas. The light going on was the light of the world illuminating our darkness. It's not about our traditional Christmas story, it's about us worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's about us acknowledging who Christ is in our lives. It's about us being who Jesus wants us to be so that we do what he said, which is when he left. He says, look, I'm going to be with you for a little while, but I'm leaving, so you guys are now the light of the world. And I don't mean to make it trite, because it's not. Jesus was saying, look, the easiest way for the rest of the world to see who I am is to watch you. You are the light of the world. Why is that important? Because you're either part of the light or you're part of the darkness. You're you're either a piece of illumination to this world for the purposes of the King or you are shielding people from seeing the light that is our King Jesus. Jesus. Now, some of you may be saying, "Why well, I don't really feel like that's what I'm doing. Well, the Bible is very specific. You're either for him or you're against him. There's no in-between with the light of the world. You're either walking in the light or you remain as you were born, which is in darkness. But the light has shined on everyone. You see, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Simeon took Jesus, the light of the world, and held him up and praised God. The whole scene that first Christmas night was one of worship, wasn't it? What did the angels do? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men, upon whom God's favor rests. Church, when God turned the light on on that first Christmas, it was so the whole world could see. If you remember the story, the shepherds returned. What were they doing? her praising God, weren't they? The whole thing's a worship service. How you know, Oh, probably, oh well, you know, it's not the, it's not the worship that I, I remember. Can I tell you worship isn't about songs? That's one of the ways we express our hearts of worship. A worship is an attitude of your heart. The actual word worship means to bow down your heart. That's what it means. Proskuneo. It means to take that which could rule your life and say, King Jesus, just as the Magi did, they brought gifts to King Jesus. Just as the shepherds did, they praised King Jesus. Just as the angels did, they praised King Jesus when you have a bowed down heart you can't do anything save praise King Jesus that's the result of actually having the light on in your life and so I'm going to ask you to stand right now if you would please locate those candles if you need one kind of stick your hand up I think we have some guys maybe in the back If anyone needs one, you're going to need a candle in a moment. But would you join me? Would you join with each other? And let's have a come to Jesus moment. And sing, O come, all ye faithful. Okay. are going to come forward and we're going to actually turn off the rest of the light. So I'm going to ask you to stay very still. Jesus spoke to the disciples in Matthew chapter 5. He said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do they light light a lamp and put it underneath a basket. But they set it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. As I light what really amounts to the Jesus candle, remember that initially there were just 12 disciples, right? We're going to turn out the rest of the lights. And what you're watching. how the gospel began with Jesus went to 12 and then spread to the entire world and as you receive light pass it to your neighbor and as you watch this happen just look around the room how quickly The light's going to come back on in the sanctuary, not because we're going to turn on the stage lights, but because your light is going to be added to your neighbor's light, which will be added to your neighbor's light next to them. And that light will spread around throughout the entire sanctuary until every last light in this room is lit. Feel free as you have some light to move towards your neighbors and make sure theirs is lit Jesus' light is waiting for you to take it to your neighbor it's moving from your candle to somebody else's candle it can't get there unless you're willing to take your light and shine it in somebody's life. Oh, you can stand in the light of your own candle. You can keep the light. You can hide it under a bushel basket if you want to. It's your right. But it isn't what Jesus wants. He wants your light to so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We began in absolute, total darkness. Look around the room, church. Look around the room. It's all it takes. A little light goes a long ways, doesn't it? That night was not filled with fanfare save a few sheep a couple of oxen some shepherds Mary and Joseph and a handful of witnesses there was very little going on in Bethlehem but there was light and that light is Jesus and he is the one we celebrate so let's sing together Silent night. Silent
1: night.
0: you for coming to our sin-darkened world and illuminating our lives with the greatest gift that's ever been given. You gave yourself, Lord, for us. Tonight these songs of worship and praise are yours the very substance of our lives are yours. Lord, help us to let our light so shine before men that they will see our good works and they will ask where that light came from. And we can loudly and proudly say it came from King Jesus, the light of the world. We love you, we honor you, we bless you. And Lord, we give you this night and all that will follow the rest of our days to help us shine this light wherever we go until you take us home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, you're on a mission. That mission's not done. We have a job to do. That job is right here in your hand in a figurative way. Shine your light. The world needs Jesus. Amen. Be careful as you blow these out. Watch the wax. Don't light your friend's hair on fire. And may the Lord of Christmas give you an awesome Christmas day tomorrow. Let's let our light shine. Amen. Amen. Here we go. Now the other lights are going to come back. Ah, There you go. Pray that your Christmas day is filled with the joy of the Lord. That your home is filled with wonderful gifts too numerous to mention. And that what, what we do will change this world that we live in for the King. Amen? Amen. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org.
1: God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.